1: Right, Hello and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. This is your host, Cindy Howes, and so happy that you have joined us. Welcome. And some big news. We are now part of Pantheon Podcast, which is a podcast group dedicated specifically to music podcasts. Very happy and honored to be among their great group. So thank you, Pantheon Podcast. And in other news, we have the Basic Folk beanie available. It is for sale on my website, cindyhouse.net. My mother has been hand-knitting these hats all year, uh, all summer long, and they are now ready for purchase. Uh, They have a Basic Folk logo on the tag. They're incredible. You can go to my website right now and check them out on cindyhouse.net. Today on the podcast, we have Ryan Walsh from the literary indie rock band Hallelujah the Hills, a Boston-based group. Uh, Hallelujah the Hills has new music on the way. The LP I'm You is coming out November 15th. Um, or it's out now, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Ryan is originally from Dedham, Massachusetts, and he's always held an interest in history and folk music, particularly when it comes to his hometown. Dedham was the site of where Sacco and Vanzetti were wrongly held for murder and also subsequently The town was named in one of Woody Guthrie's ballads about the two anarchists. Actually, the courthouse where the trial took place happens to be at the end of Ryan's childhood street. And it's so wonderful to hear him speculate as to whether the legendary songwriter stepped foot on the same street that he grew up on. Ryan is also the author of Astral Weeks, a secret history of 1968 that chronicles Van Morrison's nine-month period spent in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Right before he recorded and released the masterpiece Astral Weeks, Uh, Ryan shares insights on writing the book, which sounds like a huge, huge journey, and the subsequent influence on his life. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with one of my favorite humans, Ryan Walsh, the new LP I'm You from Hallelujah the Hills. We're gonna hear this song which we do eventually talk about in the podcast it's called folk music is insane and then we'll get to our conversation with ryan walsh on basic folk
2: it started with wandering contraband the poet blinked twice she can see the deepest impossible scene now we're walking together singing the songs of some S O B stuck in a dream with a dancer and a praying monster don't you know there's a killer on the road so slam cut to present day america's weirdness in the woods i'm alone and i can't stop looking at my phone Now we're cheering on assassins Just in our glasses Pretending that a verse can set us free Or a bad joke or a single helix It's all the same To a ghost with a guitar Folk music is insane Folk music is insane
1: Okay, Ryan Walsh, thank you for sitting down and talking with me.
0: Thanks, Cindy.
1: So nice to see you.
0: So very nice to see you.
1: We are from neighboring towns. Yeah. A lot of people know this about us.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's the first (laughs) thing they'll say.
1: I'm from Walpole, Massachusetts, and you're from like a town and a half over.
0: Called Dedham, Massachusetts. Yes. D-E-D.
1: So for those listening who are not familiar, tell us a little bit about Dedham.
0: Oh, well, Dedham is... (laughs) Uh, a place, a nice place to grow up. I loved growing up there. There's a lot of history there. The, the oldest standing wooden frame house in America, the Fairbanks House. You got Mother Brook, the first man-made waterway in America. It was the first public pay, publicly funded school in America.
1: Wow, communism.
0: And there was just all these old graveyards. And uh, I believe the street I grew up on, okay, Town Landing Lane, if you walk down... That street to the very other end of it, you hit a graveyard, but next to that graveyard was a prison. And uh, when I was a kid, it was still active. It was a prison. And it was old. People were escaping all the time. What? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. But <laughs> it's where they held Sacco and Vanzetti during their trial. And um, Woody Guthrie, uh, you know, was, Mo Ash said, I want you to make a Sacco and Vanzetti album. And um, in the bio, it said he... He went to Boston to research it,
2: mm-hmm. and I was
0: like, oh, "Did Woody Guthrie stand on my street?" And so I lied. <laughs> As like a twenty-one-year-old, I lied my way into the Woody Guthrie archives <laughs> and what? tried to, and went through his journals to see if he went to Dedham, because I was like, "If." if How did if, you if, do that? Well, I mean, it wasn't hard. I just, I think I said, "I said." Was, I was it before a the Billy
1: Bragg and Wilco album?
0: Mm, it was right after. Uh, it was probably right around then, but I, I loved the um the Joe Klein, Woody Guthrie book. So if I was like, if that guy stood on my street, wouldn't that be wild? So inconclusive results. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, but in a song he mentions denim. He's like, they're stuck there in that dark, denim jail. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: It seems to me that you are pretty fond of your roots. Mm Mm-hmm. So how does your hometown fit into your identity?
0: Well... I mean, uh, like that story I just told is pretty like the fact that Woody Guthrie might have been on my street, like that's pretty evocative of the kind of connection I have with where I grew up. Just like that. It was a. See, it seemed to be a, a hotbed for like a lot of history and historic milestones and markers. And I just loved that stuff growing up. Um, but, you know, you could broadly just say I identify with being a person from New England, maybe, or, or Massachusetts. Hmm. I mean.
1: No, I think there is something to that, the old, interesting, strange, historical stuff that you latch on to.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was I grew up like literally inside it, <laughs> inside <laughs> a really, really, really old house on the banks of the Charles River, like walking distance to that courthouse and that jail. It felt kind of like a
1: did movie you, set. Did you know notice all that stuff when you were a young kid?
0: Um, well, define notice. I mean, I was looking at it,
1: right. But were you? Did you understand how significant it was? Oh
0: no, I mean, you learned that over time. But but it starts out with relatives or older people going. You know, that's the that's. This and blah blah blah, and the pilgrims, you know, they <laughs> spout something, and you kind of go, "Oh wow, all right, right near my house." You don't really kind of sew it all together till later, but that's true. Yeah, but to- yeah, it used to be this thing called the Powder House, where they kept all the gunpowder in the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. I would go hang out there. Sure. <laughs> I thought it was it was secluded. It was like a little stone hut on a hilltop. I liked going there.
1: I read that your family is full of good storytellers. Is that true? I would say so. Are you ready for me to just tell you all about yourself? This is
0: interesting. <laughs> I almost just shouted at you, source. <laughs> but I'm not going to be rude like that. Um, yeah, uh, very funny and and good storytellers. Probably wherever I did mention that, I mentioned it because there's not much music coming out of the family, mm. but there is. But everyone's like good at. Spinning a yarn.
1: Was there anyone in particular who influenced your ability to tell a story?
0: Uh, I would say it's got to be, you know, my dad and my, maybe uh, my brothers a little bit. But my dad used to like, instead of reading us a book to go to bed, he like serialized a character he invented <laughs> and just made up episodes orally on the spot for me and my sister for years. So he was pretty great at that, so that for certain is.
1: So he did have like a creative streak.
0: He did, That's so cool. Oh, yeah.
1: Did you write any of them down?
0: No. No, but we can, you know, summon up some of the plots. It was funny. They were like so innocent when he first started, but then like, you know, after just years and years of these stories, like... Suddenly things were getting weird like it was like a young <laughs> character but like he's like caught up in drug smuggling at the end like or d- accidentally but it's just like okay this is definitely the final season. Wow. <laughs> Dad's running out yeah. of you, feasible ideas for this that's character. That's so
2: wild.
1: <laughs> um okay so your brothers had a big impact on your music listening. I know that because you told me.
0: Oh totally. Yes. Yeah they were they were in charge. They were like they loved music so much and they had you know, they got a CD player right away, and they just loved The Clash and Pogues, Bruce Springsteen. I think my brother once had me draw a very intricate portrait of the entire E Street band on stage once. He was, like, describing them to me. and I was.
1: Are you an art sketch artist?
0: No, not really, but I could kind of draw, or I liked it or something, you know. But, yeah, they were—I just—well, you always look up to your older siblings— and then it's like, what is this thing they're obsessed with? Music, mm. <laughs> you know.
1: How much older are they?
0: The oldest one is ten years older than me, and then uh, eight years
1: older. Oh wow! Yeah, significant. Yeah. And then, are you and your sister around the same age?
0: But she, but she's uh, a few years older than me. So oh, okay, I'm um, the baby. Oh. Yeah.
1: You played sports because you thought you had to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I really did. You know. Yeah, you've. It just seemed like you had to. I did. It didn't seem like I could join band or drama club or theater. No one was saying you can't, couldn't. It was just but you uh,
1: didn't have anyone around you that was doing that stuff. Were your brothers and sisters playing sports?
0: Yes, and all the friends were too. So it makes sense. But the day I quit football and joined like the theater group, one of the best days ever. I've just felt. I was like. I can stop living a lie. <laughs> and I met my great friend, Julia Paps, around that time, who was like, she had just run away, and they would captured her and brought her back. She tried to run away. And she was a weirdo, and she was like the only person, like the first time she ever spoke to me, she walked up to me in the high school hallways, and she said... Um, I heard Sonic Youth playing a secret show this weekend. Like, did, not even like Hello, or and just started telling me about this show. Sonic Youth was she play. just picked you out of a crowd? Yeah, yeah. And no one, I, when I say no, no one in the school even knew Sonic Youth. I'm not, not exaggeration. So, did you know? I knew, yeah, because of my brothers. Oh, so okay. um,
1: did you guys go to the show?
0: No, we didn't. I we remember we didn't. It, but cause... then we both we co starred in a play together, and <laughs> that's funny. Started doing art stuff.
1: Um, Yeah. how You talked a little bit about you felt like you were not living a lie anymore, but can you expand on your life before drama and after? Well, (laughs) well,
0: I I was not good at the sports. I didn't enjoy the sports. It's not like they were vegetables. Like, you know, you you might not like vegetables, but they're good for you. They're good, yeah, sports. So sports, I mean, maybe it teaches you discipline or something. All I knew is, like, the deepest sigh of relief came over me when I walked away from football. Football was so dumb. There's the pull quote. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was there any connection between, like, doing the theater and being, um, like, acting on stage, where you you kind of, like, you feel, feel so good about music. Mm-hmm. And you also feel so good about acting. Like, did those, did you ever think like you could connect those two worlds that way?
0: I don't no, That was never a conscious thought. And I didn't love acting. It was just a way to, it was not football. And it was a way to hang out with the weird kids who mm. I actually wanted to hang out with. I think mm. it was fine. But it wasn't, I wasn't like, I'm doing this. <laughs> like, get me to Broadway. But it was all about music. So, um, um, but what was remarkable. And I was talking about this online this week because Dedham public school teachers just went on strike. Mm-hmm. And Bernie Sanders supported it, and it's over. It's over in the blink of an eye. But two public, teacher, public high school teachers that I had definitely changed the course of my life because they saw like I was a creative person, and they just really kept hammering on me to pursue that. So much so that when I finished high school, they bought me a guitar with their own money. And my first guitar was from these two teachers. Yeah. So incredibly touching. I mean, I'm still friends with them today, but like for them to take that time and interest uh, means a lot. It seems crazy. Yeah. You know?
1: That's awesome. What a great story. Yeah. Um, I read, and this might not be real your first band the stairs which was originally funded on a grant from dedham
0: yeah that's completely real <laughs> what okay so <laughs> i've learned how to tell this story in a reasonable amount of time okay. when a cable company comes into a town <laughs> they have to give a certain amount back to community arts at least there was a law that said so in massachusetts okay and the cable company that provided dedham with its cable for decades just never did this and the and the Maybe they tried to get away with it. Maybe someone didn't read a contract, but someone eventually was like, "Hey," and so there was a uh, legal case, and arose arising out of that legal case was a huge like pile of money, that they were saying these are for this money's for Dedham artists who can apply for grants, and it has to involve the Dedham community or enrich the culture. You know, it had mm-hmm. to have a town tie to the town, which was. Instantly, no problem for me because I was like, I love this place. (laughs) So the first thing I did was like a small grant for like a thousand bucks to finish a a collection of short films Mm -hmm. that I was already shooting around town. And um, I think it was like the first person who actually did what they said they were going to do with the money, because when I was like, here it is, it's finished, they were like, what? What? (laughs) They were surprised. Oh wow! And like we showed it at the movie theater in the town square. So after like uh, they they were so happy the grant board that they were like anything you want to do next kid you got it and so these same teachers who were you know helping me out and advising me and pushing me into this stuff uh they were like you should you you want to make music right and uh i was like making boombox collage records just noisy like little things they were like if you want to make albums right they were like ask for 10 grand and make an album with the whole town
1: could you even imagine that much money at that point?
0: Certainly, no. I never, no. And so I applied for the 10 grand. I said, I'm going to make an album with the town Spoke of Dedham. Anyone who, we're going to write the songs, but anyone who wants to play on it can. And like, ch- we got the church choir and the marching band on there. And like, the kids in classrooms did the album art. Like, so we had all these ideas about how cool. to actually make it real mm-hmm. to, to the mission of the grant. But anyway, so I was like, yeah, I want 10 grand. And they were like, we can't give you 10 grand. <laughs> and then they suggested like a different way. Like you could do it live and then we'll record it. And not even like negotiating because I was definitely too naive to do so at the time. I was just like, okay, thanks. No, I won't do this at all. And then two days later, they were like, come to the ceremony. We have something for you. Two days later, I'm holding a giant novelty check for $10,000. What? <laughs> they gave it to me. Uh- and then just the, crazy, the craziest learning experience of my life happened where Evan and I, Evan, um, the Stairs co-founder, we literally walked, would walk into Guitar Center with a couple grand in cash and go, yeah, what do you need to be a band? <laughs> and there were you on the commission, commission <laughs> mm-hmm. so you can imagine. It was like sharks, like, uh, oh, I'm ringing them up, I'm showing them, you know. Um, but wow. we just got a little portable studio and some instruments and gear. And then worked on it for years. And that's the first Stairs album, Miraculous Happens. Wow. Yeah.
1: And you, when did you get interested in film? Because that's what you went to undergrad for.
0: Oh, yeah. So I definitely, like I said, I got that guitar at the end of high school. But I was already kind of making movies. Um, I really liked that, too. I just liked any, basically anything creative. I was, like, really loving. And so um, I got into BU film school. And that was for, like, screenwriting and editing, mostly. So that was 4 years of that. But then I was just I'd be in my dorm room just learning songs I liked on the guitar.
1: Did you finish your film degree?
0: Yeah, I graduated, yeah. Nice. What is it? BA? Yeah, I got BA.
1: From what I can tell and you know, you've mentioned in this interview bits and pieces about scholarly information about folk music.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Which it's pretty <laughs> I feel like you're kind of like an endless well of weird Old folk information. Uh huh. Is that true? And when did that interest start?
0: I don't know about the endless wall thing, but I do love. I do love to like memorize stories. I find interesting. You know, they end up just being filed away in there, (laughs) and then you wait for the right person who really wants to hear about that stuff. Um, But uh, where that arose from, this is also, I think, the end of high school. They reissued. Harry Smith's anthology of American folk music, mm-hmm. the Smithsonian did, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of hoopla about this reissue, and like people I loved, like Nick Cave and Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, all these people I thought were great were like, you have to hear this, or they they were quoted in the in the booklet that came with it, like all these endorsements from like people I thought were great. So I was like, I need, I want to check this out too. And so I got it for Christmas. It was expensive. It was like a three disc mm. fancy set with a booklet. I just thought it was amazing. Really, really amazing. And the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, I really think those songs are, a lot of those songs are like weirder than like a downtown avant garde New York like noise band. Mm. <laughs> you know, like people who are very actively maybe trying to be weird or out there just don't have. Can't hold a candle to some of the songs on this. And um, is there like a? There, it
1: is. I agree with you. Like that kind of stuff is really strange. But there is a sincerity in it right. that makes no, that's, it even that's what I'm wilder.
0: No one's try- ostensibly these are potential hit records. <laughs> that's what I love about it. And and Harry Smith, the grand. I mean, it's basically a bootleg. He didn't really own all these things. He, right. He was just, just this,
1: made a big mixtape. He, he
0: was he made the first mixtape and it was brilliant. <laughs> the structure was brilliant, the selections were brilliant, and his notes were brilliant. And so, it, it it all adds up to like, it's a very powerful thing that that anthology. And so, that definitely got me going. And then, and then reading that Woody Guthrie bio right around there, probably like the Twin Fires lit me on fire
1: also you were the one to tell me there's that recording <laughs> of alan lomax and woody guthrie yeah talking and you're like the secret is they're drunk
0: <laughs> yeah the, the library of congress interview that uh lomax conducted i think i learned that in the book but then you hear you listen and you're like oh yeah they're drunk
1: there's yeah you <laughs> now, can i think you now can, now woody <laughs> can hear them like picking up their You hear like
0: water, liquid sloshing around. Yes, that's red wine,
1: everyone. (laughs) Hallelujah the Hills is the band you started after the stairs, which is your band now. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have been together for 14 years. Yeah. What was your reason for starting that band and how do you look back on that reason now?
0: Well, the reason was, well, the stairs got going and we finally finished that grant album and then we were like okay now let's be a real band that could just play like by ourselves in a club and then we did that and we did a tiny tour and then two of the guys said um gotta go to grad school out of state and i was really heartbroken and we got to make a final record and then when that came out all these local press that i thought um i thought did must not like us they were like we never heard of these guys, and this is their last album, and we love it. Like all these people suddenly liked this that last stairs record, and I was like, "Oh man, now it's over." So the drummer and I just decided right away, we'll start the next thing, and so um, we just selected some local musician friends who we were getting along with, and then f- chose the name, and then just we, we, we went to went to work.
1: Where did the name come from?
0: The name comes from a 1962 movie by Jonas and Adolphus Mikas uh, that I was shown in film school. And it's, and it's filmed in Vermont, and it's also, you know, got qualities, like I described the anthology, um, weird, and funny, and all these things. In fact, I had to interview Jonas Mikas for another reason for my book. Okay, so I went to his apartment. He's dead now, but I, I got to meet him. And uh, I was like, I have to stay on task here, and I really need some info from him. But if it goes well, I'm going to tell him my band name. <laughs> and How'd so go? <laughs> we got through. He told me, you know he he did the book interview wonderfully, and then I was like, okay, I needed to tell you what my band name is, and I pulled out a Hallelujah the Hill CD, and he was so delighted. He was like, <laughs> what? And then he starts telling them stories about that movie, and um, how it was almost called Hallelujah the Woods, but the person transcribing the handwritten script wrote hills. And hills. Like, oh it was great, but yes, that the name I just I liked that I latched onto that film name, and then um, I can't remember any discussion around it, but mm. it ended up there.
1: You're a really good namer of things. All of your album titles are very oh, that's good. Very Thanks. good. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the, I usually it starts with the title. Because I'll keep a notebook or a notes app thing going at all times where it's just like you hear a phrase or you think of of a phrase and most of them blow by you and you're like, yeah, who cares? It's more English words blowing through my brain. But then when you I can just know when it's a title, it's like, oh, yeah, that could be a title. And then you write it down. And if you like it enough, you eventually want to write the song, the sound, what hear what it would sound like.
1: Yeah. So let me just list off some of your album titles for those who don't know. Okay. Um, so 2016, a band is something to figure out. Yep. 2014, have you ever done something evil? Yeah. 2012, no one knows what happens next. 2008, Colonial Drones. I think that might be my favorite. You do? Yes. And Collective Psychosis Be Gone is your, the debut album for Hallelujah the Hills. You have a unique, intelligent sense of humor. Um, what has been the evolution of incorporating your humor into your writing and into the band in general.
0: Well, a lot. I would say a lot of the music I like is well, sincere, but it finds a way to be funny without, like, being belittling like the those listener.
1: Spooky folk songs.
0: Those spooky folk songs are a great example. Yeah, or um, I mean, that's a, to make you like have a little laugh in a very sad song. To me, is evocative of life. Like, even in the worst times, you're going to laugh. You know what I mean? You could Mm -hmm. be in the middle of something real bad, but then something hilarious happens. Or, you know, things like that are always bumping up against each other. Like, something profound happens, but then you have to take the trash out. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. those opposites are always um, rubbing up against each other. So anytime I can get that in a song, I think I go for it. The best thing is when I play them for the band for the first time, And if it actually gets a laugh in the room, which is very rare, because people are concentrating on how do we play this song and stuff, but sometimes once in a while it'll make them laugh, and I love that.
1: Like a real writer's room.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly, yeah.
1: Has it always been an easy thing for you to incorporate humor?
0: I think so, yeah. I think that was not, that seemed like a good way. I think writing kind of poetic, abstract lyrics... Um and writing things that were surreal and funny, that came real easy to me. It was the hard thing was expressing um, true, genuine emotion without because I was terrified of it sounding cliched or saccharine. Mm-hmm. So or it's like trite or trite. yeah, because it's so much been, it's been so well tread. Mm-hmm. It was like there's probably nothing there. So I I am trying to get to that same spot. But through like other oh, so interesting. methods, I think.
1: Can't believe you used to be a football player. I mean it was just a, for two years and I was mostly on the bench. I mean, let's <laughs> all relax. What was your number?
0: <laughs> I don't even know what my number wow. was. Yeah.
1: Can you tell your Chevy Chase story?
0: Oh yeah, sure. And um you can put the picture on the uh, the blog entry for this podcast sure. so people can see it. Well it's not well, it's not much of a story, but For whatever reason, well, maybe what you were just saying, comedians love our band. Yeah. It's like some of our, you know, if we have famous fans, they've usually been comedians. And anyways, we were asked to play a benefit in New York City. Um, This is like 2008, I think. And it was um, it was crazy. It was like half the current cast of SNL and Chevy Chase was the keynote speaker Mm. who was going to close the evening out. But it was crazy, like uh, Horatio Sands had us learn uh, We Are the World, so he could do a parody called We Are the Best about self-congratulating celebrities. <laughs> and then um, Triumph, the insult ta- comic dog, needed us as a backing band. It was just a wild, wild experience. But at the end of the night, um, when Chevy Chase was done with his funny keynote speech, um, we were supposed to play a set of our a couple of our own songs. So we, he finishes, we launch right into one of our own songs. And Chevy Chase thought the funniest thing to do would be to r- ruin the song instrument by instrument by shaking, shaking each hands. of our hands. So, you know, he shakes uh, Joe's hand, the bass goes out. Yeah. <laughs> he shakes Eric's hand, the drum stuff. Like, it was very funny.
1: That's, so there is that picture of you shaking hands, but yes. it does very much look like you're in mid-song.
0: Yes, I'm like, you can kind of see him singing. Yeah. It That's was funny. very funny. And unplanned and unexpected. Yeah.
1: The energy of a live Hallelujah the Hill show is pretty amazing. What is a live experience like for you? Have you always liked playing live?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. Um I'm trying to think if I was if I used to be more nervous or anything. You know what always stressed me out was just the gear. When I learned like to play a show, how you had to lug like a living room of gear to a club mm-hmm. and then you and then I was like People were like, all right, let's go get dinner. I was like, wait, we just leave it here? Like, <laughs> like there seems to be no one watching it. Um, and so, like, I've joked, like, that you're um, you're kind of a gear, you're uh, just a mover for <laughs> most of the day. And then you get that hour where you get to play. But um, when I'm up there and it's going good, yeah, like, it, it's it feels so good that I've been feeling sick sometimes before show, and then you finish and you're like, oh, that was like... I'm healed. That was like having hot soup. Yeah. wow
1: um, yeah I read this quote of yours that's pretty good if you're making a song real I would say the one ingredient is an audience who loves loves it or sings it or gives it back to you so like an audience singing back to you oh
0: yeah that's always really nice
1: is it possible to describe that feeling
0: well it's just it's just a shared human experience that's it just makes you feel like you're all together in something um, which most people that's like one of the best benefits of music is making people feel less alone, you know? Mm-hmm. So when people have incorporated our songs into their life that much where they know the words and they want to sing them live, that's pretty sweet. Yeah.
1: Is it all right to talk about David Berman? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You had a really strong connection with David from the Silver Jews, who just sadly died. Yeah. What was it about his writing that resonated with you?
0: Well, I had never heard anyone write lyrics like that. It could only be from him, and I had never heard anyone write lyrics like that or or try to. You know what I mean? He wasn't even being imitated. He was just like a party of one. Mm -hmm. And, like I mentioned earlier, like the master at incredibly sad, but then it's full of hilarious details or funny details or... Or, you know, tricks that seem to, like, be meta, maybe call attention that this is a song, but it doesn't seem like an intellectual exercise. It actually draws you in further into the song and the experience of the song. So I was just so blown away by it. Um, I did a, We did a <laughs> Song by Siren cover of his whole album, The Natural Bridge. I think I wanted to, A, meet him, and, B, tell him, let him know, like, that... We thought he was so great, and so we made that cover album. Was and it, That is how I met him.
1: Was it Hallelujah the Hills or the No? St- that was stairs. the stairs. The yeah. stairs, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you you like walked up to him at a show. Uh, he did. A,
0: he didn't play live at the time. Um, he did poetry readings once in a Blue Moon, and then uh, I went out to UMass, and so I'm there. And then uh, that was I think that was like oh two or oh three, and um. And then we just became pen pals. He was, he, he would write me. I would, we would send sa- send him the records. And then by weird coincidence, Joe who plays bass in Hills, mm-hmm. his sister ended up marrying David. So then there was so, that. like
1: a extreme coincidence.
0: Extreme coincidence. Yeah, wow. yeah. I, I, we, I didn't know that when I met and started making music with Joe. Um, and then we went on tour with the Silver Jews on their last tour, and uh, yeah, he was great, and he gave he. I think he was—he had actual genius going around in, in his head, mm-hmm. and he was just generous with his time. You know, it's pretty neat, and I'll—I'll I'll, I'll always miss him. I think about it every day. It's—it's it's too sad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Astral Weeks, A Secret History of 1968, is your book. Came out in 20... 18. Yeah. 2018? Yeah, March 18. March yep. of 18. Seems like it's been out since 2016.
0: Well, you probably like heard me talk about working on it. <laughs> well, <since. laughs> the, well, the
1: article that you wrote, was it for Boston Magazine? That was published in 2015. Right. Which is tied into another question of mine about the Boston Phoenix. But tell me about what sparked... That article, Astral Sojourn, was the article. Oh you yeah. wrote.
0: right. Okay, so at the end of college, I had like the first real bad heartbreak situation going on, mm. and um, I was unaware that you ever got over those things at all. You just die. <laughs> I was <gonna> assume. I, <laughs> I was like, I'm sad now, <laughs> so, yeah. and so uh, I did. I I didn't uh, try to fix that. Uh, hurt with like drugs or alcohol, I was buying records and just like trying to do it that way. Mm. And, and eventually I found Astral Weeks and I had never been a Van Morrison fan, neither had my brothers. I mean, we'd heard the hits and stuff. But I, I, in a record store, I was like, that title's weird. And then the cover, I was like, that cover's weird. And I was like, I'd really like to know what's, what this sounds like. And I put it on the car and uh, it was instantly just made me feel better like that first song Mm. and and then I just kept listening to it over and over again and it wasn't losing its power you know it was like so anyways it quickly became like my favorite I was just saying this is number one I found it this is the best one cancel all music cancel it (laughs) okay boys head home (laughs) but then um you know as we've been talking I'm proud of being from Massachusetts and local you know mm-hmm. i love i do love the city and so on the back of Astor weeks there's this poem signed by May Morrison where he mentions cape cod cambridge and hyannisport and i was like what and i i, I did initially think those must be cities in ireland <laughs> as well i um and then i learned um that they no he was here and but like the information on when he was here why he was here was like two sentences online Mm-hmm. He was like, he, Peter Wolf was his friend. Yes, he was here. Lived on Green Street. Okay. I was like, okay, what else? And so um, when Carly Carioli, the editor at the Phoenix who used to hire me, uh, became Boston Magazine's editor, uh, he had a party with a bunch of the writers he'd like to work with. And I just cornered him. And I was like, what if I figured out what, what Astro Weeks has to do with Boston? I take those
1: two sentences and turn them into an article. Yes,
0: yeah. And just kind of. Convinced him I could do this. And then he said yes, and he hired me. And then um, I started writing that article, which led to the book.
1: led to the book. Yeah. And the article was published, and then somebody at Penguin Publishers got in touch with you?
0: Right. So, yeah, people shared that article a lot. They really liked it, because people adore the record, and there's so little context about it. So, suddenly, all this new information was there. And so, People um, really liked it. And so I was driving up to Vermont with the band to go play a show, and we stopped to get gas. I checked my email on my phone, and um, there's an email from an editor at Penguin Books, and he's like, I I loved your article. I love that album. I'm sure a lot of editors are reaching out to you, but just talk to me first. I'm your guy. Wow. <laughs> Which I, I've been told never, never, yeah. ever happens. And I probably like lied on the reply, like, yeah, you know, I do have... A lot of phone calls queued up. but let's... You learn
1: back from that Dedham grant on how to negotiate. Yes.
0: Right. I finally knew how to work it. Yeah. Anyways, um, Ed and I really hit it off right away in like not only in a friendly way, but like, oh, we can we work together pretty good. And so, you know, writing the book was one of the hardest demanding experiences of my life.
1: You also had a full time job and right. a band. Right. To keep up with.
0: Right. And the band, you know. The, I definitely lessened the band activity but it was still there. Yeah, I was like I was like I'll probably never get a book deal again. I I can do I can survive anything for a year and a half. And um I just about survived. <laughs> and um yeah, I'm so I I I was happy with it. I was like, well, I love this, so it doesn't matter if people hate it. You know, I was like preparing myself for yeah. that. Cuz I think people I was excited that it wasn't just a book about the album. And only I knew that for so long. I was like, people, <laughs> people's expectations are going to be completely driven into a ditch. Um, yeah, because it really,
1: it really is a book about what happened in Boston in 1968, which is a lot of weird. Yeah, it's like a lot it's of weird
0: a, stuff. It's about like um, yeah, it's the, those were the rules. This the city, the year, and then you know stories about creativity or spiritualism, that kind of stuff.
1: Mel Lyman is another. Big figure in the book, right? Which yeah, we don't super have to get into, but oh. <laughs> just to let you all know, yeah, the characters that Ryan Walsh was talking to. So you went, you underwent the endless, seemingly endless task of collecting data and interviewing over 100 people with personal accounts of Boston in 1968. How did researching the book and conducting all of those interviews affect you personally?
0: Like did it, oh did yeah yeah well I mean first of all I felt like grateful and um, responsible I was like well these people are like trusting me with their stories I have to get this right so I was putting a lot of pressure on myself and it affected me I mean it 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 definitely lessened or damaged you know close personal relationships because I, I was it was so demanding mm-hmm. and, it, and like you know some of my friends describe it as like you were in another year. You know what I mean, right? Like, oh, like, you
1: were just in nineteen sixty-eight.
0: Yeah, and there's a, there, there's actually a line on our new album that says time travel is real, but there's a price you pay, and that that's what I'm referring to. Wow. Um, so that was a real thing, and it was hard, but I did also, I was determined to like uh, um get get it right and be happy with it at least.
1: Yeah. So what a great opportunity to be part of something bigger than yourself.
0: That's true, too. You know, it's not like, um, yeah, to write about all these other people and to like stories that I thought were fascinating that just got kind of left in a corner somewhere Mm -hmm. to like dust those off and then be like, oh, I know the context to put this in where people will get how it's great and worth remembering. Mm. and Yeah.
1: You mentioned that you had a hard time reconnecting with Peter Wolf, so you interviewed him for the article, mm-hmm. um, but he wouldn't talk to you anymore. He wouldn't return your calls. Yeah, and you said that maybe you caused some friend friction between him and Van Morrison. That was
0: that, uh, that was a pure guess, but and maybe there is no logic behind it. But after that great night that you read about in the book, um, he he ghosted me. He and, plays
1: you like these, t- like. Well, tapes. he doesn't play me them. He oh, shows them to me, and oh, then he, he showed and, them. To and you. then he
0: promises to let me hear them, and they're the Holy Grail of the story. And then he just he just didn't. cuts off contact. And
1: that's the the tapes that you're talking about. Is that the tapes of Astro Weeks performed with the Boston musicians? Yes, yes. So the story is: Let me tell the story of the book you wrote. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so please. Van Morrison was in Boston in 1968 for like nine months. Yep. And. Developed the songs on Astro Weeks with these certain musicians. Yep. And then left town, yep. New York,
0: New York with pros, with
1: with other musicians who are on the record. Right. And Peter Wolf has tapes of Van with these Boston musicians.
0: Right. And so the idea, very, very nicely done. Thank you. And <laughs> the, but the idea of hearing those tapes was is it evidence that these Boston kids helped shape the change in sound? Like, cause, cause it goes from Brown Eye Girl to Astral Weeks. So it's like a huge right. leap. Right. Right, and right. I was like, there's a missing thing here, and I think it's on that tape. So so the night with Peter Wolf was also in the original magazine article, and so was quotes from Van's ex-wife, Janet Planet, who was here with him at the time. I thought, oh, maybe Van was like, what are you doing talking in an article where my, my ex-wife is... Do you is think the- he reads his, reads his own press? Well, actually, I do. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I've talked to so many people. I think people tell him stuff, or I do think he kind of keeps tabs on that, actually. Mm. Yeah. Well, after the book came... Famously, I did not talk to Van Morrison for this book. I tried really <laughs> hard. But then that became its own advantage, where I was like, yeah, he really functions as like a ghost in this book, you know, mm. or something I'm chasing. Right. And so, Is it
1: like really even about him?
0: Right, or it's about someone he used to be. Right. And so... The book comes, and Van Morrison hates to do interviews, but when he does a new album, he has to do a few. And so, a few months after the book came out, he was on the BBC. And so, I was kind of listening to his interviews, seeing if he, you know, any. And so, he's talking about, you know, songwriting and stuff. And then suddenly he's like, and fake news. I want to talk about fake news. And I was like, wow, what's, what is this? And he's like, journalists, they just make up anything they want. And then no segue at all. He's like, "An astral weeks." I wrote it when I was 22. I didn't know I'd have to answer for it my whole life. And he I know
1: he called your book "fake news."
0: It, I have no idea if that was, but it sounded like a reaction to the book. Mm. If there was one, that was it. But I, I have no definitive idea. Yeah. But, but when I went to Belfast, his you know, where he grew up in Ireland for the book festival, everyone was like yeah, he might come around like glancing <laughs> around shoulders, like, you know, it wasn't unheard of that he would show up at the event. So
1: what do you want to say about the new record?
0: Well, you have to ask about folk music is insane. I thought that song was the whole reason I was that's here. okay. so Ryan,
1: <laughs> Ryan has a song
0: it's the first single off the record.
1: I remember, I think I have like a screen. i i you're so funny to me that oh. I take screenshots of your Twitter and put it on my Instagram. Or at least I did one time (laughs) where you're once you were like you had a you had a picture of a Halloween ghost costume yeah and you're like I love folk music and this is how I honor it really yeah
0: that sounds funny and I do not remember yeah
1: I I, am probably misremembering it but you have a song called Folk Music is Insane
0: yeah I do it's the (laughs) um it's the second song on the record and um. Well, going back, you know what it goes back to is like um, how like those early anthology songs are totally nuts to me and and weirder than like current avant-garde stuff. So, but then the term itself has been so become so broad and somewhat uh, not expected to be anything powerful per se mm-hmm. that I thought it was hilarious to say folk music is insane because it it immediately starts to throw you out of your expectations for a genre you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it was just like um it became kind of like a secret key to wink to people to the less assumptions you bring the more you're going to be surprised and am I making any sense? yes
1: yeah 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 (laughs) no you're just knocking what people's expectations over
0: yeah I like to do that
1: yeah yeah All right, um, are you ready for the lightning round? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, lightning round, Ryan Walsh.
0: You ready? Ready.
1: What is the first song you learned on guitar?
0: Um, Indigo Girls, Closer to Fine.
1: Wow. Batman or Superman?
0: Um, Batman.
1: Hotmail, Gmail, or Yahoo?
0: Still use Yahoo.
1: Wow. Lakes or beaches?
0: Oh. uh, Beach. I'll go beach. (laughs)
1: Do you read music or play by ear? Ear What is your karaoke song?
0: Um, Wichita (laughs) Lineman
1: What's your dream collaboration?
0: Um, uh, just anything with David Lynch
1: Beatles or Rolling Stones?
0: Uh, The Beatles, big time
1: What's the last book you read?
0: Um, Becoming a Man by P. Carl
1: Flying or Invisibility?
0: Um, invisibility. Whoa, is that rare? Rare. Is that? Oh man, is there some? Do like, you want to do it again? Is there some Buzzfeed thing that flying says, or invisibility? People who choose invisibility are actually <laughs> psychos. <And> like, <laughs> All
1: right, uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Dedham, Massachusetts.
0: It's good old Dedham, <laughs> and the landscape of the inner imagination. Oh jeez. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Thanks, Cindy. Real
1: pleasure. Laura McCarthy produced Basic Folk this week with assistance from Adam Corey. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of the band Townspeople does our music. I'm the host, Cindy Howes. I'm the host. Thank you for listening. Also, thanks to Pantheon Podcast for welcoming us into their network. You can find show notes and more information as well as buy yourself a basic folk beanie at my website, cindyhouse.net. You can sign up for the newsletter and also join our Facebook group, Basic Folk Basics. And we'll be back next week. Okay, bye.